0: Good morning. The Lord is risen.
1: He is risen indeed. Oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: We are um, blessed to join you on this Facebook feed that we have today. I trust you can see us. You can text Aiden or any or one of us if you can't hear. Um, Marshall and I had this uh, dry run yesterday and today to include our music in the middle of the service. And for whatever reason, uh, it's not working this morning. So we'll still be able to do our service and worship together but we're gonna link to the music that we have. There's three songs of Easter music that the musicians produce for us. So um, you'll find those on the website. We'll probably send them out by email. They'll also be in Facebook. So you can listen to those throughout the day today. I wanna thank Marshall for a lot of work helping me um, figure this all out and put the service together. And um, it's probably a good time to say in these last three or four weeks of being isolated, Uh, there's three songs. Dozens of people have uh, kind of just helped out with the church, this huge volunteer force, calling people, um, running with technology, running prayer, uh, caring for people with meals. So I'm grateful to all those people um, who've done so much in the last few weeks. Um, Now, as we come to this day of Easter of celebration, we're at the height of the Christian year. The Lord is risen and among us, and we celebrate his glory. We'll begin now with just a moment of silence. Let us stand together. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is is risen risen indeed. indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us us new life and hope.
2: He He has raised Jesus from the dead.
0: Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us
3: pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open,
2: all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love
0: you and wordily magnify your holy name. Through Christ Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear what the Lord Christ says. The first and great commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Remain standing for our readings. Psalm for today it just comes from Psalm first oh,
1: Reading from the prophet Jeremiah. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant, and shall enjoy the fruit. From there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. The word of the Lord.
3: Thanks Thanks be to God. Psalm from today comes from Psalm 118. We'll read it responsibly. The Lord is my strength and my song.
2: He He has has become become my my salvation.
3: salvation. Glad songs of salvation are are in the the tents tents of of the the righteous. righteous. The The right right hand hand of the Lord does does valiantly. valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has become become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
2: Paul's letter to the Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Remain standing for our Gospel reading. The Lord be with you. And, and I'll also with, with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew.
1: Glory,
2: Glory to you, to you Lord, Lord Christ. Christ.
0: Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not there, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. This is the Gospel of Christ.
2: Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
0: Christ. Be seated. At the beginning of the service, I um, mentioned that this is the highest day of the Christian year. It's kind of the pinnacle, the peak of our Christian joy. We journey uh, through Advent and the birth of Christ, to this moment when Christ has been risen from the grave. And I often think on a Sunday, I lack that here in some ways, that when I show up on a church and we all gather together, that those persistently happy extroverts uh, greet me with a giant alleluia, Christ is risen. That um, joy that fills this season... Um, it's not here, we're at home, and like all of you, we're in isolated, so we have to say this by text and media. And it struck me today that um, there's a sense in which it doesn't always fill us with the joy we expect. We say rejoice and we say it's a high year, but that doesn't mean that we emotionally follow into a height of God's peace and satisfaction and His love. There is, in fact, anxieties and fears and uncertainties. Maybe conflict in life that weigh down on Easter, that keep us from sensing the joy of the resurrection. Easter is also unlike Christmas. If you think of Christmas, it has all these commercial trappings to hold it up, music and lights and decorations, and Easter kind of sits alone. And then it offers us these two questions that press down on us. Did it happen? And what does it mean? I want us to think for a minute about this side of the resurrection, these two questions that face us, that we have to deal with when it comes to expressing and experiencing Easter joy. First, did it happen? Did Jesus of Nazareth get buried in a tomb, dead, and walk out on the third day, alive? I've, in my pastoral and teaching life, I've had dozens of people come to me weighed down by the burden of that question. Too often, I think for my own fault, I get lured into trying to answer that problem. And you begin, I always do, by laying out what the skeptics say about the dates, about the likelihood, about Jesus coming out of the tomb. And then I offer the Christian responses to each of those doubts. We do know, in fact, it's probably important to know, That it's with certainty from historical documents that this Jesus, probably almost to the date we can name it, died. He was imprisoned, he was accused by the Jews and by the Romans, and he was killed. This we know. We probably know with very good certainty that a man called Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, took possession of the body and laid him in a tomb. We have good reports and records that it was women immediately who began to report sightings of Jesus. We also know that hundreds of people within days of Jesus being raised in those 40 days began to claim that they had seen him. And we know that within days, communities began to form. And they began to give up their lives. They began to give up their possessions. They began to welcome the orphan and the widow, the sojourner, the lonely people, And that the largest religion to this day had this explosive birth. This is an amazing things that we know, but none of that convinces us and tells us that Jesus came out of the tomb. It just tells us that something extraordinary has happened. In my time ministering to people or answering people around doubts of the resurrection, I've come to conclude two things and it probably took me too long. The first is that arguing the historical evidence for the resurrection never settles the matter. Never had anybody walk away and say, well, that's all I needed to know. Something you should almost anticipate from the beginning by laying out historical events of the past. It's not going to settle the doubts that run deep within us. But the second thing I've learned is that in almost all cases, doubts about the resurrection are never about the history of the resurrection. They're simply the brimming up of deeper anxieties and doubts and skepticism. If you sit here on Easter day, secluded to your home, looking at economic uncertainty, employment uncertainty, sickness in your family, and you have doubts about the resurrection, welcome, you're a human being. If your doubt persists, if it drives you to despair and to anger, If it drives you to oppose God, then I suggest to you it's not the historical evidence that's going to solve your problem. The doubt in the resurrection has probably a much deeper cause, and I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to turn to this second question. What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead and walked again? I read a theologian this week who I think is right. This is actually the harder question to believe than simply did it happen. For if you think about Jesus, this is not the resurrection of Lazarus. A couple of weeks ago on our Sunday reading, we read that passage from John chapter 11. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, his friends and their brother Lazarus, who's died and has been in a tomb for three days. And Jesus calls him out, Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus emerges from, or Lazarus emerges from the tomb. When Lazarus walked out, he had his old body, a body that would soon pass away again. When Jesus walked out of his tomb and was raised by the Father and the Spirit, he had a brand new body. Paul calls it a spiritual body. Other times Paul says he has a glorified body. It has wounds in his hands and his side, but many of the disciples don't even recognize him. Something about him has been transformed. It is now immortal, eternal, eternal indestructible, beautiful, perfect. Something about that body is perfect life. And that's only the beginning of the meaning of the resurrection. Somehow, scripture tells us, the whole of the cosmos, the whole of creation has been bound up in Jesus in his death and is being drawn out in his resurrection into new life. It's not merely that Jesus has a resurrection body, it's that the whole world has begun to be reborn. Paul, in the reading we have today that Emma Clare read, for your life is hidden with Christ in God, that metaphor of hiddenness. We may not see it, but your life is buried. It's been mysteriously united to the life of Christ and the life he now lives in the body you have in Christ Jesus, in your mortal body. That's Romans chapter 8. We're already caught up in that. That's why that question is so much harder to believe, to look out on the landscape of our experience and begin to think of this world already being made new. The common image for it is one of a garden. The reading from Jeremiah 31 today, God tells Israel that after 70 years of darkness and suffering and isolation, I think that's significant, they will come back to Israel and they'll be in its garden again. They'll eat its fruits, they'll plant, it says, and you'll eat the abundance of the land on the high mountains. And there'll be this new feasting of Israel. Early in the book of Jeremiah, if you know it, God calls Israel themselves the garden and the vine. Isaiah chapter 5, Israel is the garden. But it's a garden that failed. And Jesus is, if you look back at John 15, when he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. It's that garden imagery. We abide within the strength of the vine. Cyril of Jerusalem wrote one time that Jesus has planted his roots in the thorns and thistles of human sickness and darkness and death. And he's begun to turn the soil into new life. Garden. Life brimming everywhere. The aptness of the power of the image of a garden for this rebirth in the kingdom is that the garden has a life cycle. It has spring, it has summer, it has fruits, it has berries and it has squashes and leaves and bugs and noise and busyness. But the garden also has the deep death of winter, when the frost covers the ground and the roots are bare, and we sit in that Easter season, in that death of that Christmas season, I'm sorry, in the winter season, and have to imagine somehow this soil will once again look like it did, that warmth that fills and covers our skin. And it's far more often in life that life feels like the death of winter and the frost of the garden and it does like the tide of spring. It's the challenge of Easter. It doesn't look all like Easter all the time to me. And this may be a season especially where it doesn't seem like Easter. It doesn't seem like resurrection life is blooming everywhere around me. It requires deep faith. I think that's why Paul uses this metaphor when he says, set your mind, take your mind, it's almost physical, and put it on the things where Christ is, risen above. Paul knows it requires effort and strength and habit and practice. In other places he says, um, renew your mind, set your minds, place your minds. Paul's how to habituate as he's trying to create practices of hope because he knows it's difficult to see the life of the new creation in the midst of seasons that often feel as winter. I actually want to end and turn to a third question that I didn't mention. If the first question is about the reality of the resurrection in the past, about our faith in history, then the second question is about our hope in the future, about a life laid up for us that's beginning to break in. But the deeper question, I think, is not faith or hope, but love in the present. Here's what I mean. I'm thinking of uh, Thomas Merton, who raises this point. He says, do not set your hearts and your hope on the resurrection. Set them on the God of love, who gives us the resurrection. He's appealing there to the metaphor of a parent who gives a gift to the child. We don't give gifts to children so that they'll love the gift. We give gifts to children so that through the gift they'll know our love and that we'll receive their love. The gift is not the object of our hope. The resurrection and new life is not the object of our admiration and hope. It is the love of God that we're to embrace this day. If you know the epistle, 1 1 John, that's the substance, the thesis of 1 John. By this we know that God loved us, that he laid down his life for his brothers. 1 John 2. Then he comes to this moment at the end in John 1 John chapter 4. God is love. And by this, God's love has been manifest within us, that he has given his only Son, that we might have life in him. Why is there life? So that we would know the manifestation of the love of God. That's the question I want to put before us today, not primarily the history of the resurrection or the theology of its meanings, but the experiential love of God that they both communicate to us. Do you believe that you are deeply loved by the Father? That's the challenge, I think, of discipleship for the Christian. I can believe in the other two, but can I know that the gaze of the Creator is set on me with everlasting love? Paul praised this for the church in Ephesus. I pray you would know the infinite love that surpasses all comprehension. I think if we can answer that question, if we can step into that love, the other two questions recede into the background. To know that you are deeply loved. Do you believe that this day? That is the challenge of discipleship. God is being manifest among us by the resurrection, his love. And I call us today to step into that, to know that love, to know that hope, requires us as Christians to step each day into this growing disclosure of the love of God. And we have to obey, we have to step into it. Think of that moment at the end of John's Gospel, John 21. Peter has failed the Lord. He's embarrassed himself and he's lost his confidence. And what does the Lord Jesus ask him? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you know that I still set my love on you? Do I still have friendship with me? Will you walk back into love with me? It is Jesus' restoration of Peter from failure so that Peter might step forward into the love of the Father through the Son. Today I leave that for us not to think merely of the life laid up or merely of the body that walked out of the tomb, for to know that you're an entrant into the love of God. That together we might hear these words from the Father through the Son. You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Alleluia. sisters, let's stand together and proclaim the words of our faith in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father the Almighty, maker of heaven and
2: earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. and is seated at the right hand of the Father.
0: He will come Come in glory to judge the living and the dead,
2: and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life,
1: who proceeds from the
2: Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead
0: and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask us to be seated for our prayers, and we'll have a moment of silence when you may offer your own prayers before we pray these together. Be seated.
3: Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the The hope hope of the the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and and sustain sustain us by your Holy Spirit. Spirit. Let us confess our sins against God and against our neighbor.
0: And walk in your ways. To the the glory of your name. Amen. Stand and receive the Lord's forgiveness. But I grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you all.
1: And also with you.
0: Peace. Peace. peace, peace, peace. Say peace to the camera, I'm Peace. If you're in your homes, I ask you to, if you're able to stand. and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let us pray together the words our Savior taught us. Our Our Father. Now we say together the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies.
3: We are not worthy
0: so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and and to drink drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that that we may may evermore dwell in in him, and he in us.
3: Amen.
0: The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. body Now I invite you to join our voices in our post-communion prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank Thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the 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 most most precious precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to live and work to your praise and glory, as, as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord, to him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In Alleluia. Alleluia. I'll send you today with God's blessing, the blessing of God Almighty the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. We miss you Amen. all Happy uh, Easter. deeply. Happy Easter. Um, send messages to one another in um, greetings of the Lord's resurrection. My thanks to my family, who I did not thank earlier for all the work in putting together this service. The Lord bless you.